we're in we're fast approaching Easter, as everyone knows, and today focusing on Mark chapter 15, verses 16 through 32. Um, obviously, a, a very sad day in Scripture. But um, in our reflection day, I hope we see what a beautiful thing that the cross really is. Um, so as we turn to the text, uh, let me open this in prayer. Father God, we thank you for this morning to be able to gather together uh, through this technology uh, from our homes, God, making this daily breath possible. We pray now that as you um, as you come among us, that we might hear from you, we might understand your love for us through your son on the cross. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm sure everyone on uh, the call this morning has heard about the nature of crucifixion, and I'm not going to say a whole lot about it. I want to focus on uh, a little something different this morning, but I do want to say a few things about crucifixion. Of course, everybody knows it's excruciating pain. In fact, the word excruciating actually comes from cross. Um, that's the kind of pain that Jesus experienced. And of course, he wasn't the only one that day to suffer that pain. There were two others with him. And uh, many people were crucified by the Romans. And so why am I saying that? It's not to take away from the pain. We'll talk about that a little bit. But what was going on on the cross um, was more important than just the pain itself. Um, so the, the crucifixion was, was reserved for the worst criminals, usually rebels or insurrectionists, who um, sought to undo the uh, Roman Empire. And of course, the Jews were occupied and the Romans had to keep them in check. And so crucifixion was used uh, as a political tool. It was a warning for anyone who might challenge the Roman Empire. And crucifixion always happened on the roads just outside of the city so everyone would see. And the whole point of it was to be overwhelmingly brutal. Um, it was unspeakably horrific. And it was almost always preceded by torture. In the case of Jesus, it was. And so we see that in the text. And I, so now I want to read the text and then we're going to talk about um, uh, what we're going to focus on is um, just how Jesus was mocked by everybody and then what it all means for us. So starting in verse 16, and the soldiers led him, Jesus, away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion, and they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him, and they began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of, uh, of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. 
And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests and the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. So you can see, at least in Mark's gospel, the focus is not so much on the pain. It was understood that that crucifixion was exceedingly painful. Everybody in that day who read this understood what was going on. He was being, he was being not just executed, but crucified because um, of the official charge of treason, right? He's a king parallel to Caesar. He claimed to be a king uh, parallel to Caesar. But of course, the Romans didn't really believe he was the king of the Jews, and neither did the Jewish authorities. So what is Mark focusing on? He's focusing on the mockery that Jesus suffered and the willingness um, that Jesus had going to the cross. So let's just focus on, on each of the, the parties that mocked, him, that mocked him. And my hope is that we'll get to see the beauty of the cross through it, what Jesus did. So starting with the soldiers, um, it, it, starting in verse 16, it says, the soldiers led him away inside the palace. Now, um, it, it talks about how they called the whole battalion. It was about 600 men. But typically, it doesn't. You don't get six hundred men involved in crucifixion. So imagine this: the scene here. A handful of soldiers that day. It was their turn to carry out the crucifixion, and they had three people. And but this wasn't any normal day. They called together the whole battalion because everybody had to see this. Everybody had to get in on the fun. This was a special day. The two uh, criminals that were being crucified were like Barabbas. They were insurrectionists, and they were being put to death for that charge. And yet Jesus um, never really threatened the Roman Empire that way. They were trumped up charges that were necessary to give Pilate cover in order to be able to to um, put Jesus to death. And he did it um, because the Jewish authorities wanted to um, have him put to death. But so the charge is king of the Jews, which sounds like a rival to Caesar. So all of the soldiers in the battalion would want to see this. And so 600 men, roughly, gather together. Uh, the crowd mentality takes over, and they're mocking him. And how are they mocking him? They're mocking him. Um, they're having fun, right? They're, they're laughing at his claim, um, or the claim anyway, that he is king of the Jews. And so it's a um, pretend uh, hail Caesar. They're treating Jesus as if they're giving him the same salute that they would normally give Caesar. And so 600 men together um, spitting on him and beating him with a reed in the head. Um, so it's a fake royal procession. Now, Caesar was king and thought to be divine. That's how they used it, viewed it in the ancient world. They saw divinity 
It was ascribed to warlords and mighty kings and victors who ruled by violence. And they imposed their will on other people through brutal means. And that was what was respected. Um, that's how Caesar ruled and everybody fell in line with that. And so when Jesus had declared himself to be king, king of the Jews and the only true son of God, that's a claim that rivals Caesar's. And so you can imagine these soldiers sitting there with this man who is in prison, he's about to be killed at their hands. They of course didn't think he was king. They of course didn't think he was divine. And they, that's why they were mocking him. Everybody expected that uh, if someone were king, that he would rule by force, a brutal force at that. And so clearly G Jesus was wrong and Caesar was right because Caesar held all the power. It didn't even take Caesar to come and subdue Jesus, just a handful of his men. Um, and so uh, Jesus was made to be a bull. All right, so after they had mocked him, they took off the purple cloak and the crown, which would have been royal clothing, and they gave him his own clothes. And then it was back to business as usual, the business of carrying out um, these crucifixions for that day and in order to keep the Roman Empire in power. And so um, when we see that uh, in verse 21, that they compelled Simon of Cyrene to carry Jesus's cross, normally those who were crucified would carry their own. Um, and Mark doesn't tell us, but we can infer from the fact that Jesus, Jesus couldn't carry his cross. He was beaten so severely that he was unable to carry his own cross. And so he's a bloody mess and he's on his way to the cross. Um, and they took him to the place called Golgotha, the place of the skull. Most likely it was given that name because of the many, many people that had been crucified there. It was just a place of death. And so when, it's, when Mark tells us that they offered Jesus wine mixed with myrrh, uh, it was like a narcotic. It was supposed to help numb the pain. And it was thought, uh, some scholars believe that um, there were women there that would um, show up with uh, wine and myrrh in order to try and lessen the pain. But Jesus refused it. He didn't want it. Instead, he wanted to feel all of the pain that day. Um, he, refused, he refused it because he wanted to bear the full weight of the suffering um, that was due to our sin. And so he willingly suffered all of the pain. And so they put the inscription up, King of the Jews. Um, it, it's not, it wasn't merely rebellion or insurrection like the other two. But they mocked him again with the inscription, King of the Jews. And so, of course, as I said before, that's how Pilate justified his decision to crucify Jesus. Um, he, can't, he, he couldn't have crucified him for lesser crimes. Um, but it was also directed at the Jewish authorities. Um, they knew, the Romans knew that Jesus was not the king of the Jews, at least not according to the Jews. And yet they're crucifying him as king of the Jews. 
Um, and this is a power play in many ways um, towards the Romans. This is what would happen with, with any of your kings, you know, anyone who was your king. And so um, neither the Romans believed it, uh, nor did the Jewish authorities believe it. And even the passerbys, those who passed by, imagine most of them were Jewish. They were there for a festival. And these were the same people that were hailing him as king and as Messiah because of all the work that they'd seen Jesus do, all the miracles. Um, if you step back for a second and the way that Mark tells his gospel, Jesus starts alone. He calls the disciples. The crowd swelled around him. And then as he heads towards the cross, the crowds dispel. They're dispersed. And even his own disciples, as we've seen in the last uh, few days, had left him. And so all of these people that had hailed him as the coming Messiah now believe that he wasn't, despite the miracles, despite the teachings, despite the fact that they'd never heard or seen anyone like him before. And so and why would they turn on him? Well, it's the, they had the same assumptions that the Roman soldiers did, which is if he were king, um, he would rule by power. He would use violence as necessary to free the oppressed Jewish people. That would be their salvation. And so those who passed Jesus by while he was on the cross, again, most of them were Jews, um, they hurled insults at him. And now that Jesus was powerless and hanging on the cross, they thought he was just another pretend Messiah. And so they mocked him, um, saying, save yourself. Come, uh, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. Come down for the cross. Um, if he couldn't even save himself, how could they save him? They were mocking him severely. And in the same, it was the same thinking for the chief priests and the scribes, except they didn't even go out there to Jesus. They just kind of stayed in among themselves, mocking him. And they said the same thing. Let the Christ, right? This is tongue in cheek. Um, let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross. And the irony is, they say, that we may see and believe. Um, and those, the two criminals even reviled him, most likely for the same things. So imagine the irony. Um, this, this is Mark's use of irony, I should say, um, that the Jewish authorities would, would say something like this. I mean, we know that Jesus was resurrected, and we know that they didn't believe. He didn't just save himself while he was alive. In fact, he didn't even try and save himself. He went all the way to death. And then he did something even harder than coming down from the cross, which was to overcome death. And yet they still didn't believe it, even when the evidence was there. And so everyone here was mocking Jesus. Um, and we know how the story ends. And of course, the rest of this week will focus on that. But I want to focus um, on my reflections on this passage of just focusing in on Jesus's willingness to suffer not only the excruciating pain, but all of this mockery and rejection. Um, as I was reading through some of the commentaries, I came across a, um, a thought from Peter Abelard. He was uh, 11th, he lived in the 11th and 12th centuries. 
And he's talking about the cross. And what he said was, he's talking about Jesus' willingness to go to the cross. And in that day, a lot of people were talking about, well, we know that Jesus saved us by the cross, but how? Um, was it a ransom? Was it something else? And one of the things that Peter Abelard is known for adding, what he said was that Jesus submitted to torture and death and mockery and shame in order to awaken humanity to love. It's in order to awaken humanity to love. So Jesus' willingness to die a shameful death without putting up any resistance at all, not only did something for us, right? It was the holy blood of the holy lamb shed once and for all. It's the once and for all sacrifice that enables us to enter God's presence in eternal life. So it did that, but it didn't only do that. It also revealed something beautiful and it taught us something profound. Um, What it revealed is, is God's extraordinary love for us. While we were still God's enemies, we were sinners. He died at our hands. We are the soul church, right? We are the passerbys. Um, we're supposed to read ourselves into these stories as the ones that mocked Jesus because we didn't understand him. But instead of resisting us with his own power, the power of the creator, instead he willingly submitted uh, out of love for us. The mightiest king, the one who created the universe and conquered death on our behalf is the one who loves humanity lavishly. And when we understand the cross as the place where the creator of the universe and the most powerful being there is willingly suffered, when we, when we truly understand that we're awestruck, we're awestruck by the beauty of the cross. It's where God revealed the extent of his love for us. So it revealed the beauty of the cross, the magnificent love of God for us. And once we understand that revelation, once we're awestruck by the beauty, by the beautiful love of God revealed on the cross, it's then that we're able to understand the profound truth that the cross teaches us. Namely, that the way of love and sacrifice, rather than the way of power and violence, the way of the world, but the way of love and and sacrifice, love and service, it can awaken love in others and change the world for the better. If we understand the love of God for us, we can in turn love others the same way God loved us. And so my hope and prayer is that as we go here from um, this lesson uh, today, that you would think about the love of God on the cross um, and the, the love that he taught us to show in order to change the world. And with that, I'll close this in prayer. Again, Father, we thank you for your presence among us today. We thank you for your word, most of all, um, reading this passage. We thank you for your willingness to send your son and uh, Jesus, your willingness to die on the cross, uh, not only excruciating pain, but to suffer extreme mockery and to do it willingly uh, in order not only to, to save us by your blood, but to teach us how to love And uh, as we continue on this week, we pray that you help us to draw closer to you um, and have a fuller understanding of that love. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.